So a couple years ago, my current roommates and I are hanging out, and we are in a parking lot, and it's close to midnight because this is where young adults who don't have money hang out at night. And the parking lot is vacant. There's no one there, which means that it's perfect time for a race, okay? And I don't mean a car race. I mean a good old-fashioned foot race. And the foot race is going to happen between Brother Billy and I, and Josh, our other roommate, is going to be our signaler, okay? Now, know this about Billy. He was a star football athlete in high school, very quick, very fast. I had about two years of, right, for high school star athlete, I had about two years of volleyball under my belt, so I wasn't quick, I wasn't fast, and the point of this is I had roughly zero reasons for thinking that I could actually beat Billy in a race. But my competitiveness won out, and I challenged him anyway. And so we're getting ready. Josh is about 25, 30 yards at the end of of the parking lot. We're getting set, literally doing this. Josh signals us, and we're off. And the first race, I lost. Okay, I'm just going to be honest about it. I lost the race, but I lost by like a hair, my memory tells me, anyway. And uh, it, it was really almost indiscernible who actually won. So indiscernible, I thought that uh, I was going to challenge Billy to a rematch. So I challenged him to a rematch. Josh rushes to the other end of the parking lot. This race did not go as well as the first one. So we're getting ready. We're getting set again. And we're off. About three to four seconds in, things are going pretty well. About five to six seconds in, your preacher's chest gets a little top heavy, and this is my own fault. I only do push-ups when I work out, skipping, skipping leg day. Seven to eight seconds in, I am now subject to the laws of gravity and physics, and I've got no control over my body, and I'm literally going chest first into the ground like this, arms trying to help me. I'm wearing a cardigan. This is probably why this is happening. I, I ripped the cardigan, and I'm laying there on the ground. I'm in defeat. It's embarrassing. I'm sad. Part of me can, can kind of catch that this is funny, though, so I'm actually able to laugh about it. And then I look into my pocket, and I pull out my phone, and this had happened during the race. Yep. It did not look like that before the race started. And I had just bought this phone a couple months before. And I posted a photo, this photo, actually, on Facebook the next day and told a little bit of this story, just a little bit of it. And here's what Billy had to say in a comment on the status. The worst part was that it was on the rematch, as if you had any more to lose. (laughs) A lot of likes on that comment, yeah. (laughs) Now I got to ask you, what was the cause of this drama? My uncoordinatedness, was that it? Maybe, probably. What gave way to all of this? Here's what I think gave way to it all. It was my blindness. And what was I blind to? I was blind to at least two things. The first thing was I was blind to the state of my abilities. I didn't, I thought I was faster than I was, right? I thought I was more quick than I was. That was the first thing I was blind to. The second thing I was blind to were the state of Billy's abilities. I thought he was slower than he was. I thought he wasn't as fast as he was. And this is a blindness of the mind or a blindness of the heart that I'm talking about here. And today, our central theme of the text that we're reading is blindness. It covers blindness of the mind, of the heart, but it also talks about spiritual blindness, 
physical blindness. Jesus is actually healing someone today of their physical blindness. And if you've not been with us uh, the last couple of weeks, we're in this series called Miraculous. And here's what we're doing in this series. We are looking at Jesus' signs and miracles, as they're recorded in the Gospel of John, so that we, just like the people of Jesus' day, might actually believe and trust in Jesus. That we might actually believe and trust in Jesus. And two weeks ago, if you were with us, we were in John 2, and there we watched Jesus. Uh, he, his, his miracle was really like a reversal. He took this system, the six stone water jars that were there for Jewish cleansing, and he reversed it into a winemaking system. Now, if you're there and you're a well-read Jewish person in the first century, you should know, this should signal to you that the Messiah is in your midst. The Messiah is among you, and he's bringing with him joy and peace for everybody. That was two weeks ago. Last week, we were in John 5, and we were looking at Jesus healing the invalid of 38 years. And here we learned that, that to get unstuck, to get unstuck, Two things have to happen. One, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. Two, you have to want to get unstuck. Do you remember Jesus's question to the, to the invalid of 38 years? He says, do you want to get well? And so we learned that you got to want your healing. You got to want the miracle. And today we are in John 9, pages 1000, uh, page 1074 in the Bibles in front of you. If you want to turn there now, um, let me catch you up a little bit to speed on what just happened before this chapter. We're going to see that blindness is pervasive. It covers us all in one way or another. And uh, chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a feast that was given over to the celebration of God's faithfulness uh, in the harvest and God's faithfulness to the people during the Exodus. And uh, among other things, this was a festival of light. So a lot of scholars think that the, the festival was so bright, they had lit their lamps, that all of Jerusalem was thought to receive all of their light from this festival. So Jesus is here at this festival in chapter 7 and 8. And he makes this really radical claim. Here's the claim. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And this is radical, one, because this is a festival of light. So we know there are connections here between light and God. And two, all over the Old Testament, God is commonly referred to in terms of light. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying something like this. Hey, everybody. I'm God. I'm the light of the world. And what happens next? Well, something that happens all over the place in the book of John, a lot of division, a lot of disputes, and a lot of conflict. Jesus' words introduce all of this. The Pharisees, some of Jesus' followers, in chapter 8 is just dispute after dispute after dispute after dispute. And this is where we find ourselves now at the end of chapter 8, start of chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what the gospel writer John says. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the light of the world, here's the claim again, I am the light of the world. And a couple questions came up for me as I was reading this. The first one is, what's going on with that first question uh, that the disciples asked Jesus? Was this man's blindness the result of his own sin or the sin of his parents? And you can kind of feel, right, how that's a, that's a weird question. feels almost out of place. Well, it's actually not so weird. So in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, we get a list of the curses for disobedience. And on that list is the curse of physical blindness, And so the disciples here are actually well-read. They know that this can be associated with generational sin or sin due to your, uh, excuse me, blindness due to your sin. And so their question is well-placed, but Jesus' response, I think it feels a little controversial when you read it in verse 3, the the latter half, it says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so you might wonder, is Jesus here saying that he, that God caused this man's blindness just so that he could bring about a good work? And I think the answer is no. I don't think Jesus is saying that. And it's helpful here to look to commentators who've noticed that the original language that this is written in lends itself to a different translation. And here's how it reads. But so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, We must do the work of him who sent me. I'll reread that. But so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me. In other words, Jesus here goes silent on the cause of the man's blindness. I don't, what, I don't, whatever the cause is, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Jesus is, and his father are going to use this as an occasion to bring about a good work. They're going to use this as an occasion to bring about a good work. And verse 5 follows up with the hope that you and I can hold on to in the midst of suffering. That Jesus is the light of the world. That Jesus is the light shining in the darkness, as John 1 puts it. And here's where the hope comes from. The darkness has not overcome the light. The darkness hasn't overcome the light. And we know it will not overcome the light the light. Jesus can take our suffering and our pain, and he can trade us beauty for ashes, as Isaiah puts it. And so we pick up back in verse 6. Here we're getting into the miracle itself, and here's what it says. After saying this, he, this is Jesus, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and then put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. When I first read that, I sort of missed out on the intensity of what Jesus is doing here. So to help you uh, not be like me, I'm going to invite up uh, one of my friends here, and he's going to help me uh, illustrate this point. This is Larson. Can everyone say, hi, Larson. Okay, I'm going to put this blindfold on you. Can't see through it, right? Nope. Okay, good. Now, can I ask you to um, suspend your feet off the ground? Good. Now, I'm just going to rotate him here a few times. And, and what I'm doing here is I'm trying to simulate the scene in John 9. 
Okay, you can put your feet down. And now, Larson, I want you to stand up. And I want you to find your way off the stage towards the middle aisle. And do really whatever you need to to find your way there. Okay? Good. Doing good work. Beautiful. Let's give Larson a hand of, round of applause. Good work. Yeah, that was nice. And <laughs> he did it in first service, but he couldn't find his way there, so he, he's learned the ground a little bit. And what this is showing us, <laughs> he wasn't there for second service, though. What this is showing us is that sometimes healing, sometimes healing requires obedience, Sometimes getting the miracle requires obedience, or as this point puts it, moving out of the darkness requires obedience. Jesus didn't just instantly give this man sight. No, he put some mud on his eyes and sent him on his way to the pool of Siloam. Requires obedience. But more than uh, just this point of, of, uh, about obedience, um, blind folks in the first century, especially those who were born blind, were considered unclean by the Jewish standards. Now, can you, can you think about why they were considered unclean? What was it about them that made them unclean? Well, one, one reason they were, and Larson helped us to see this, is because of what they would touch due to their blindness. So notice that for Larson to sort of find his way around, it kind of required him to get on his knees a little bit, to crawl around, to have to, you know, touch around the ground. And likewise, for the first century um, person who's blind, they're going to have to do roughly the same kind of thing. And in that process, the odds are they're going to touch something that is going to make them, by the standards of Jewish law, unclean. And this brings up the Pool of Siloam, the place Jesus sent the blind man. So right as I was doing this part of my study this week, um, all I really knew about the Pool of Siloam was that it was a mikvah. And I was like, oh, what's a mikvah? Well, lucky for me, about two feet to my left at the coffee shop I was at was a friend of mine who happened to be Jewish. So I was in good company to have this question. So I, I reached over and got his attention. I said, hey, like, um, do you happen to know what a mikvah is? It's like, yes, I do. And, and, and so he went on to tell me, and so what I have to say here is now his testimony, and I fact-checked it, checks out. There are about 500 laws, roughly, give or take, that guide the use and the rules surrounding mikvahs. And mikvahs were pools of water, and the water had to come from a naturally occurring source, rainfall, maybe it was connected to a bigger body of water, and they were used for cleansing, different kinds of Jewish ceremonial cleansings. For instance, women, before they got married, in preparation for marriage, had to wash in the mikvah. Today, if you're using pots and pans to cook, you gotta, you got to immerse them in the mikvah to make sure that they're kosher. If you were going to be converted into Judaism, you needed to be fully immersed in the mikvah. Okay, so this thing was important. A couple years ago, there was one of these in, literally, there was only one of these in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and this poor maintenance guy, poor maintenance guy, was cleaning this thing out and probably wasn't familiar with the situation. And he, he ended up draining the whole thing while he was cleaning it out. Make matters worse, there was a drought in Nebraska. So what did they do? They had to, they had to transport ice that occurred from rainfall or snow or somewhere 
and keep it frozen and transport it to this mikvah in order to replenish it of the water that this poor man had, had, had drained out. Now, are you feeling like the intensity here? Now notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, go to that thing that we've just talked about, that mikvah, the pool of Siloam, and wash in it. And wash in it. Jesus here is, once again, just like in John 2, he is reversing another system. In John 2, it was the stone water jugs that were holding the water and then the wine. And here it is now the pool of Siloam, the mikvah. And Jesus is on the other end of this reversal. He's transforming this system, and he's on the other end of it. He is now the means by which one will become clean. He is now the means by which one's eyes, yours and my eyes, will be opened. No longer in need of these Jewish systems to bring about healing. So, where does this leave us? I wish the story ended here, nice, kind of peaceful, no conflict, but of course it doesn't. So we pick back up in verse uh, 8, and here comes the trouble. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, this is uh, the, the man born blind, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked, as though it was their wisest question ever. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Just notice this nice point. He's still like disassociating himself from Jesus. Okay, the man they called Jesus um, had, had made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a, a Sabbath, which just means trouble. Here come the Pharisees. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Friends, one thing that is emerging before us right now is that the light, when it shines in the darkness, is disrupting. It's disrupting. It, 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 it hurts to look at. Exposure to it is painful. People don't like it. The neighbors of the blind man, the Pharisees, even the parents of the blind man, who we're not going to read about, but they're later described in this chapter as, as, as being resistant to what's going on. When the Pharisees go to them and investigate them, hey, how did your son get healed? Here's what they had to say. We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. They're, they're, they're resisting. There's division amongst all of the people who have just been exposed to the light, to the healing. And what we learn is this, that moving out of the darkness brings about resistance. Moving out of the darkness brings resistance. Can any of you relate with that? Have you had that experience yet with your friends or with your family 
or with your coworkers or just people you know or people you love, that when you came into the light, when you moved out of the darkness, they were resistant to what was going on in your life? Maybe some of you are on the other end. Maybe some of you are avoiding moving into the light because you know about the resistance that's going to come your way if you do, right? And the resistance can be external. It can be with our friends, our family. It can also be internal. We might decide internally, I know if I move out of this dark place inside me, it's going to hurt. It's going to cause resistance. It's going to bring pain and suffering. You know what? All things considered, I'd rather just stay right here. I'd rather just, it's comfy. I know it. It feels familiar. I'd rather just stay right here. Story that comes to mind when I think about this point is uh, Gustavo. Some of you know Gustavo. There he is. And uh, he's not flexing. That's a natural pose of Gustavo. Now, if you don't know Gustavo, um, lucky you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he's a great guy. He's, he's one of my best friends. And in high school, he would tell you by his own admission, he lived thoroughly in the dark. I mean, he was, he was deep in the darkness. And, but he was still kind of a church attender. He was still coming every Wednesday and so forth. And then he went to a summer camp in between his, his um, junior and senior year at Thousand Pines, right? And there he had an interaction with the light that changed him fundamentally from the bottom up forever. Changed him forever. He, he, when this guy decides to do something, he decides with vigor and commitment. And here he finally decided, I'm going to enter into the dark, excuse me, into the light. I'm going to exit the darkness, and I'm going to stay there. Now, what happened next? He got home. The friends he had were right where they were, and they began to show signs of resistance. What did it look like? They stopped inviting him places. They stopped um, including him in what they were up to. They were, in effect, resistant to the light. Gustavo was utterly committed to getting out of the dark. And this division and this resistance is all over the place in John 9. In fact, it's all over the place in John. This is just the theme of this gospel, that the followers of Jesus, that the Pharisees, everyone who's just sort of tracking what he's up to, just is in and out of belief and trust in him, and they're always wavering, and there's all kinds of resistance. So what does Jesus have to say about it at the end of this chapter? We pick back up to see in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So check out what just happened. He, the blind man saw Jesus aright. He saw Jesus for who he was, and his response was to worship and to trust Jesus. We keep going. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this, heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? That's a great question, Pharisees. And they were really frustrated with Jesus, you should know, because he broke 
two laws, and they were both related to the Sabbath. The first one he broke was just making clay. Poor Jesus, right? He was making mud, and in doing so, he broke a Sabbath. And then the second one was the healing itself. And so now it looks like the Pharisees are maybe becoming acquainted with the fact that they can't see. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So why did Jesus come? Why does John tell us this narrative in John chapter 9? I think the reason Jesus came and the reason John is telling us this story, and it also happens to be our big idea for the day, is that Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus came to give sight to those who couldn't see. But he made it depend on a couple things. He made it depend on obedience. So if you want your eyes open, you got to listen to the eye opener. And he's telling us there's a cost involved. And, and you got to know this, that some of the best and worst decisions we can make, consequently, come with a cost. And the cost here is one of resistance from those who are still remaining in the dark. And this point, the big idea, it's, I think it's, it feels maybe simple for a lot of us and familiar, and I worry that that might cause us to miss it. Um, But there were two miracles going on today in this passage. The one was Jesus' healing of the man's physical blindness, right? The second miracle, and this is the one that will take all of us in, it ranges over all of us, was the healing of the man's spiritual blindness. Bringing the man out of his spiritual darkness. Being the light that shines in to the spiritual darkness, That was the second miracle. That's the one that's on offer for all of us today. Even if you've made the decision already in your life to follow Jesus, to let this light be a part of your life, we're still blind to things, right? Even spiritually so. And so no matter where you fall on the spectrum, this is for you. And if you haven't uh, decided to follow Jesus and to take to his beautiful way of life, This is for you also. Jesus is saying, I'm here to open up your eyes so that you might be able to see. So that, as as John puts it, you might experience everlasting life. So here's Jesus. He's offering us this healing. Doesn't matter where you are, where you came from, who you are, what your background is like. But here's a warning. It's easy to think that you're not in need of, of this kind of healing, right? It's easy to think this is for other people. This is not for me. Um, An example of this, when I was living at my parents' house uh, a few months back, uh, I was in the habit of coming home late, and so all the, the lights would be off, and my room was on the second story of my house. So I had to go up the stairs, and I didn't want to turn on the lights because I was worried I might wake someone up, okay? And so initially, when I started coming home at this hour, I would walk up the stairs, like, real nice and slow, holding the railing the whole time, okay? Now, I'm an impatient kind of dude, so I like to get, I like to get from A to B quick. So I started after, after a little while. I would come home, and then I thought I was confident enough that I could just start running up the stairs, 
knowing them step by step, skipping like three to four at a time. Now, occasionally this would come uh, with a fall, and then I would inadvertently wake people up, and so the whole thing got undermined. But there was a time where I, I didn't do that, and I made it up the stairs nice and easy, skipping five at a time sometimes. Here's the point. I learned the darkness. I knew the darkness. I learned it. It was real familiar to me. So familiar, actually, that it was as though things were illuminated. It was as though there was light shining all throughout the staircase. That's how well I figured out how to maneuver the darkness. And I'm now curious how many of you can relate with this, that there's a sort of darkness somewhere in your life and you've got it down. You've nailed it. You know just how to move in it, so much so that you're now unable to see the fact that you are in darkness. That you are in darkness. And so here's what I want to ask you by way of response. I've got two questions, and both of them are, are in my opinion, probably too much to, for you to actually answer right here now in between this moment and the back set. So I invite you to take these questions with you this week, find a time to sit with them, to think really deeply and seriously about them. The first question is this, where are you spiritually blind? You might rephrase this question, to what are you spiritually blind? To what in your life are you spiritually blind? Now this is a hard question to answer. It's actually frustrating for me to even ask it, maybe. And here's why. If I'm, if I'm spiritually blind to something, how am I supposed to know what I'm... I mean, after all, I'm blind to the thing. So I, I don't know that, I, that that's the case. Here's my advice to you. Two points of advice. The first one is, would you ask Jesus in prayer to help you see your blind spots? Because I know that Jesus can do that. He can show you what you're blind to. So that's the first recommendation. Go to prayer this week. Ask Jesus, Lord, where to what am I blind in my life, spiritually or otherwise? Here's the second thing you can do. I want to say this one's probably going to be potentially more challenging, but I recommend it. Ask a friend or someone you love or a family member, your spouse, just someone you trust. Go to them this week, today, if you're feeling um, extra up for it, and ask them, hey, where am I blind spiritually? What am I just sort of not seeing about myself? Can you help me spot the blind spots? Because as it stands, I can't see them. And warning, this is going to be very difficult. Getting feedback, which is what this is, is really hard. Oh, it's really hard. And I've done this just a couple times in my life. And in the moment, I want to scream. It's so painful. It's hard work. But looking back and, and seeing what I did and asking for the, for the feedback is such a glorious experience that I, I literally couldn't be more thankful for. So I invite you, go to prayer with this, find a friend, a family member, someone you love and trust, and ask them about it. Here's question number two. With which character in John 9 do you identify? With which character in John 9 do you identify? And there's a list of them. So none of us are going to be able to get out of this one without having to identify with a character. There's enough to range over everybody here. The first one you might identify with is the blind man before he gets healed. 
So here I'm thinking of people, some of you who've, who've not met Jesus yet, you're, you're unfamiliar with him, you don't really know who he is, and today is sort of your first interaction with him. And you're interested. You, you want the healing, you want freedom from the spiritual blindness. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you just to find me or someone, one of our pastors or someone up here who could pray for you, and we will pray over you and help you figure out what is next. But then, character number two, there is the blind man post-healing. The blind man post-healing. He's met Jesus. He's, he's been healed by Jesus. He's worshiped Jesus. But he's really like early on in his faith. You know, he doesn't really know, well, what's next after this? I mean, the man just healed me. He's probably unfamiliar with the fact that Jesus' way of life comes at a really big cost. And I want to invite you Again, the same thing. Find me or find someone up here today, and we will pray with you and help you think about what is next for somebody like you who just met Jesus maybe recently or in the last few weeks or maybe today. Character number three, or characters number three, the family members of the blind man, in particular the parents of the blind man. So we didn't read about them, but here, this is what they were like. They were, they were afraid of being connected up with the source of the healing. They were afraid of being connected to the source by which their son was healed. And some of us, I think, might fall in this category. We're sort of scared about this possibility of being connected to Jesus because we know about the obedience it requires. We know about the resistance that will almost surely come our way afterwards. Some of us are like the parents of the blind man. Prayer and conversation is here for you today after the service. And fourth, this is the the category of folks that I think I identify the most with, the Pharisees. The good old Pharisees. Here's what the Pharisees were like. They were utterly preoccupied with everybody else except for themselves. To make matters worse, they were also extremely devout in their faith and in their religious practices. So some of us are kind of like that. Some of us have been at this for a while. We know the faith. We've walked it for years and years or maybe months, and we still think, you know, we've got it down. And we're so utterly preoccupied with everyone else that we are missing the nature of ourself. We're missing out on the nature of ourself. And it's hard to be in this category, quite frankly. But again, prayer and community, it awaits you. It's for you. The he, Jesus is here today to open up our eyes to these blind spots. So the band is going to come out. They're going to lead us in a couple of songs. I just want to give you 30 seconds to a minute to just sit with these two questions to maybe actually appeal to Jesus in prayer. Lord, would you help answer these questions for me? And then after that, we'll, we'll worship through song.